Well, we will continue on our study of eschatology. We're going to be going on for a few more weeks as I keep on considering it. There's more and more things that I wanted to, to talk about, but uh, we hopefully will finish uh, before the Lord returns at some point. But that's at least my plan, because we're going to be done no matter what at that point. <laughs> so uh, uh, let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you that you're good to us. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can come together during Sunday school and study it. We pray that uh, you would be with the, the thoughts of our hearts this morning. We pray to bless not only me as I teach the adults, but all the other five teachers as they teach the children. We pray that today your spirit would work mightily in us through your word for asking Jesus' name. Amen. We uh, defined amillennialism last week. Uh, we saw that uh, in that view... There is no physical future thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. That that reign is happening right now, but is a spiritual reign in heaven. Uh, that's what the millennium is happening now. Uh, it teaches so it teaches that we are currently living in Christ's millennial kingdom, and when He returns, there will be no be, there will be one general, general resurrection at that point, and uh, both the just and the unjust will be raised at that point. So that's kind of the summary of the amillennial position. And then there is also, uh, um, uh, consistent with amillennialism, is this idea of uh, the apostasy of the church and also the, the, the situation in the world getting worse and worse. Uh, not a complete apostasy of the church, but uh, the, idea, no, uh, the idea of when Jesus says, if the days weren't cut short, even the elect would be deceived and and there'll be just a small remnant left at the end sort of idea. So uh, in my mind, the all-millennial position is one that is, if you believe it, is because you're really convinced from the Bible, not because it sounds good, you know, it feels, it feels good at that point. Uh, any questions about what we talked about last week on all-millennialism, all-millennialism before we continue today? All right, so today we'll attempt to define the other two views that have been considered by the Reformed Church as orthodox positions. Uh, what I mean by that is that if you hold to all millennial, the all millennial view, if you hold to the post-millennial view or the premillennial view that I'm going to describe today or today and next week, uh, you are within the boundaries of Reformed orthodoxy. Uh, to put it more Simply, you, you'd be able to be ordained in the Bible Presbyterian Church. And if you're outside of those things, then you, you would not be able to be ordained in our Presbytery. And remember that I'm only defining them, not proving them just yet. I'm only going to try to prove the one I think, the one that our standards teach, and the one that I think is the one that the, the Bible teaches. And so I'm not trying to prove them at this point. And that there will be no debate about it during Sunday school, though I'm more than happy to try to answer whatever questions you may have. All right, so we'll start with, so the idea is to define post and pre-millennialism, or we look at awe. Millennial, awe means no millennial, right? That's what the alpha privative in the beginning means there. We'll start with the post-millennial view defined. One thing that most people don't understand today is that in the post-millennial view, at least how was, has classically been defined and how it was the belief of everybody that believed in it at least up to about 50 years ago 
the post-millennial position holds to a future physical <coughs> millennium. The post-millennial view holds to a future physical millennium that is about a thousand years. There will be, be a glorious thousand-year kingdom on earth fulfilling many prophecies of the Old Testament. That's something that's been missed today when think, people think of post-millennial. This idea that, that post-millennialism doesn't include that is a new kid in the block. Historically, that's not been the post-millennial position. We're not in it yet. It's some, some future time, future to us. That's how the Puritans saw the post-millennialism. That's how the, both English and American, not all of them, but those that believe in post-millennialism held to this view. That's what, uh, the, the, that's what Jonathan Edwards uh, held was to this view. This is what the Princeton scholars like Hodge and uh, the Hodges, uh, Warfield and so on held. And so there, uh, there's some variation how long the kingdom will last, but usual agreement on the existence of it in the future. They also teach that the period of severe persecution described in the Synoptic Gospel, so if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them describe this period of tremendous persecution that Christians will suffer future to the writing of the three Gospels. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke saw that in future to them. And uh, uh, most people think that those descriptions equate to the period in Revelation 6 through 19, a period of great tribulation. Postmillennial position teaches that that already happened. And that already happened when Vespasian and then Titus took over and invaded Jerusalem in AD 66 through 70. So the fall of Jerusalem is that great tribulation described in what's called the Olivet Discourse. So uh, Matthew 24 and 25, uh, Mark 13, Luke 17, and then Revelation 6 through 19. By the way, I forgot to say that last week. That that's also true of amillennialism. A standard amillennialism. Most believe that that period of tribulation that the church will face has already happened in the past. Those things have been all fulfilled already. Uh, there is one well-known amillennialist that doesn't hold to that. Um, he, is a new te- he wrote a, commentator, a commentary in the whole New Testament. His name is William Hendrickson. He still sees that as future, but that's not the standard uh, all-male or post-male position. Any question on these two things? Yes? As far as that novel view of the uh, novel post-millennial view, are you talking about like the theonomic post-millennialism? No. No. Um, we'll get that in just a sec, but no. Uh, they also have a, a great spiritual emphasis in the kingdom uh, uh, of God, at least this millennium, millennium. When I talk about kingdom here, I'm referring to the millennial kingdom. Right? We all... We all here hopefully believe that we are in the kingdom of God, that Christ is ruling as king right now. So but I'm talking about the millennium part of that, that kingdom and how that is defined. Uh, the post-millennialists see, see this kingdom as uh, being universal. It will be marked by universal salvation and righteousness. And I mean, when I mean universal, I don't mean that everyone over all, all ages will be saved, but that at that moment in time, Christianity will be universal on the world. That, that's what I mean by universal there. Uh, they see many Old Testament physical prophecies uh, applied to this future age, and, apply, and but in spiritual in sense. Uh, and uh, 
there will be no Jewish recognition in this kingdom. Um, though they do, uh, 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 almost every single post-millennialist that has written a book <laughs> that I'm aware of, so it's probably three of them, now, <laughs> uh, do, do believe that there will be a great revival in, in Israel and uh, the Jewish people will come to faith in Jesus Christ and will be part of the church as well. Not as a separate Jewish kingdom, but part of the church of Jesus Christ at that point. And they say that the kingdom is going to come about, the means of inauguration, how this kingdom is going to come about, is that it will be established by the power of God working through the church and the preaching of the gospel. That that's what's going to commence the kingdom, is that the church is going to be so faithful, the Spirit is going to use the gospel proclamation so much, that the whole world is going to get saved, and that's how the kingdom, uh, the millennium kingdom, uh, begins. And... uh, Especially noteworthy in this position is the conversion of the Jewish people to Christ, you know, based on, on Romans 9 through 11, their view. Um, and the church is not to expect the coming of Christ before the world is converted. So, first the world is converted, then Christ returns to the earth. Now, uh, the all and premill positions teach that Christ won't return till the whole world is evangelized, which is different than converted. Do you see the difference? To evangelize somebody is to tell them the gospel. Uh, uh, and so the, both the all-male and the pre-male position hold to that, that Christ won't return till the whole world is evangelized. But the post-male says the whole world will not only be evangelized, but also converted to faith in, in Christ. And therefore, Christ returns after the millennium reign, the physical millennium reign. And during the millennium, Christ will still be in heaven, ruling through his spirits, and at the end of the thousand years, he will come to the earth, raise the dead in a general resurrection, judge all the people, initiate eternal state, and that's why it's called post-millennial, because it's after the millennium. Though, if you think about it, the all-male position is also a post-millennial return of Christ. It comes after this spiritual millennium. But that post, this title is reserved for this particular position. Any questions before we continue? Tilly. Did you say that the, um, uh, Ju- the revival of Israel's uh, viewpoint is um, particular only to post-mill? No, no. I'm saying that that's a, uh, it's not a unique feature, but it is uh, almost a nearly universal feature. Uh, L-mill and pre-mill is, allows for that, doesn't require it. The post mill view goes throw a statistic 90 plus percent of the time that's the, the conclusion Lisa when you said that only like three people had written books about no 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 I was just joking about it those are the three I said of all the books that I've read about it it doesn't mean three I don't mean that no. so but is it a less popular view of Christianity overall it's the newest view on the block um, in that you know it's um came to popularity in the 1600s where the other two positions have been around somewhere in the church since the, 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 uh, the uh, patristic period, the early church period. All right. Any other questions before we continue? All right. Um, well, Andrew is asking about theonomy, uh, theonomy uh, in the context of eschatology uh, 
theonomy is called reconstructionalism. And that is, there is, there is a, a, a segment of post-millennial uh, belief, uh, a segment of post-millennial people, post-millennialists, that are called also reconstructionists. Now, classic post-millennialism expected God to bring in the new order through the faithful service of the church and Christians with the emphasis on God's regenerating more and more people and bringing them into the church. Reconstructionists expect Christians to take a more active and aggressive role in changing societal structures. That the, the, the church and the Christians should be about also implementing the Old Testament mosaic civil government laws. That's part of the, uh, uh, the, the idea of theonomy. Uh, we, all, we, all theon- we are all theonomists, meaning we believe that we should follow the law of God, right? We all, I hope you all agree on that, that the, the law of God is good, you know, renewing the soul, the law of God is perfect, and we, we follow it. But theologically, the term theonomist means, uh, is applied to those that want to revive the Old Testament civil laws and apply to society today. So whatever was a capital uh, crime in the Old Testament should become a capital crime today and, and, and so on. Uh, and that's part of the Reconstructionist uh, movement in post-millennial. But even the Reconstructionists would also, the classic Reconstruction, which is not very, cla- very old, was in the 20th century, that's, a, that's when this view became more popular, it still would be looking for a future thousand-year reign of Christ. Does that answer your question, Andrew? All right. Any other questions on this before we continue? The newest kid on the block, as far as post-millennial position comes, is the, these people who think that there's no at all any future physical reign. That's the newest position. Uh, late 20th century, early 21st century is when it actually gained some acceptance in the church. And that's mostly... Uh, associated with the Federal Vision movement, uh, you know, uh, men like Doug Wilson and uh, uh, Peter Lightheart and uh, Richard Lusk and so on, though they hold more to that position. All right, so the, uh, one of the strongest arguments for postmillennialism is the parables of the kingdom in the Bible. What I mean by parables of the kingdom. It book, both in Matthew and Luke, you have find several parables that Jesus says, and the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. Can you think of any in the head? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like? Come on, people. A mustard seed, right. And so a mustard seed, need to get that? <laughs> Might be an emergency. Uh, the mustard seed, for example, the, that starts small and then dominates all. What else? The kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure. The kingdom of God is like a what? Leaven. Yes. So again, the, the idea of leaven that starts that's a small portion, then but that takes over everything. So this idea of of Christianity, of the kingdom of God taking over everything, they interpret that. And, and on the slowness that the, of, of the leaven working through it as an indication of the, the truth of post-millennialism. Though, other than the parables, I find that the, the argument is often a negative one, as in, uh, no, millennialism is wrong and premillennialism is wrong. 
and so on. Instead of spend, there's not a lot of the, the positive argument for it is not that present in, in their, in at least the more recent uh, writings. They, they spend more time criticizing the other views, especially if you're a reconstructionist, which is true. Uh, the theonomist movement, the reconstructionist movement, tends to be a very negative movement uh, in the presentation. Uh, and uh, it's uh, in, it is often a dividing, has had, a, that, that's a historical fact easily proven, uh, often a, divide, a, uh, a dividing effect in the local, uh, in the local churches. Um, one good thing about, uh, let's see where we are here. They're very, uh, a, a very, a very optimistic position, right? Uh, all millennial and dispensational premillennialism are pessimistic about the future of the church and Christianity in this age. Only postmillennialism is optimistic. I would also, when I define historic premillennials, I would also like to show that historic premillennials are also uh, happy premillennials uh, at that point as well. Uh, only points, uh, they, are, they are optimistic as it, as it expects Christ to conquer all his enemies through the church's ministering uh, the gospel in this age. And postmillennialists are optimistic about the future conversion of Israel as well. Though often this is listed as an argument for postmillennialism, uh, it is a logical fallacy to use this as an argument. Assuming that's the case, why would that be a logical fallacy to use this as an, an argument? If, if I'm, I'm stating that to say, oh, you should, you should believe in postmillennialism because it's, 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 it's optimistic about the future. I'm saying that's a fallacious argument because... Nick? How can you be optimistic if Jesus isn't going to come back and reign over the earth? No. Now you're attacking the, optimistic, the optimism, not why it is fallacious. Lisa? Correct. Yes. The, the main argument has to be the, the only argument has to be do the scriptures teach it? Now you can you can encourage people and show you Lynn, look these things and so on, but that should not be uh, uh, an argument used as a fallacious argument. Uh, oh, this is this this will guarantee uh, this has a good outcome, so we should all believe in it. Is not necessarily a good argument to follow the the, but it, so it's fallacious. The problem, not the problem, but a, a, a scary fact about this view is how many people who are my heroes in the faith hold to this view. <laughs> you know, uh, the Puritans, many Puritans, were uh, held to this, to this view. Jonathan Edwards held to this view. Charles Hodge, A. Hodge, B.B. Orfield, uh, the, the Southern Presbyterian Church as a whole held to this, to this view there as well. Um, some modern reconstructionists, some of uh, uh, that are still around today, some are not, but people like uh, Rush Dooney held to this field, Gary North, uh, Greg Bonson, uh, David Chilton, Gary DeMar, Ken Gentry, these are all post-millennial uh, people. And then um, still under this post-millennial heritage, which is not one that I'd like to claim, but the Federal Vision Movement as a whole also are, is, are post-millennialists of the reconstructionist or the- theonomist kind. 
Any questions before we continue? All right. We're going to try to start then defining prim the premillennial view here. And as I do that, any of those of you who grew up in the church and it was not a Reformed church, the premillennialism that you came in contact is likely the one that's called a dispensational premillennialism. That is not what we believe here. And I'll try to make that difference later on in the series. And most of the arguments that this different, the armal position, the post position use against uh, why you shouldn't be a premillennialist have to do mostly with that variety of, this, uh, of premillennialism, dispensational uh, premillennialism. A dispensational premillennialist would not be ordained in our presbytery. That's different enough from what the Bible teaches that he would not be ordained as an elder or a pastor in, in our presbytery. So that's why I'm not spending a lot of time on that, even though that's probably the one you had the most contact with as, as, uh, if you grew up in a non-Presbyterian uh, church. Oh, well, even if you grew up in a Presbyterian church, uh, if you're old-time Bible Presbyterian, you probably grew up with, uh, with an inconsistent dispensational position there as well. All right? So the, uh, the uh, premillennial position includes a future Messianic kingdom, uh, viewed as, as a different phase. Christ is ruling right now. We are in his kingdom. But there will be a different rule of, of Christ on that point where he's going to rule in person, physically, on this earth for a thousand years. There will be a, a glorious future kingdom on earth for a thousand years, which kingdom will continue in future ages. So it's not like Christ rules for a thousand years and he's done ruling. He continues ruling. The physicality of the, 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 the kingdom continues for, for eternity from that point. And it will be both political and spiritual. Right? It's difficult to think of Christ as a king without the political aspects of that. The, the king rules. Right? The king is the chief uh, politician uh, there. And uh, it might even, it, it, he is going to be ruling by force over some people because there will be unconverted people during that millennium, millennial kingdom. Uh, the uh, historic premillennialism teaches that there will be a future time of severe persecution to precede the return of Christ, and uh, that described in Revelation 6 to 19, and perhaps also described in the Synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that the church will go through that period. There will be no such thing as what's been called the rapture, where people, the church, will be taken and they disappear in heaven. Now, the, the only book you find that's not the Bible, it is the Left Behind series. Uh, and that's 100% fiction, more, probably more fictitious than Harry Potter, uh, the Left Behind uh, series. The, uh, the church will go through this period of, of difficulties, of tribulation. So the post-millennial, the all-millennial, and the historic premillennial position all agree that the church will go or has gone through this period of great persecution. There is, when, when the New Testament speaks of this, this period of persecution, there's only one other time in history that's equated to. Can you think of it? it when, when, when Jesus, when Peter, 
when Paul talks about the spirit of persecution, it, they equate to one period in the history. No. No, because it would be, that would be future to them at the time. They, the only two other places, the flood. As it was in the time of Noah. Show. And did the church at the time go through that period of persecution, of, of trials, of tribulations? It did, right? Noah was in the ark, but would, there, would you agree with me that being shot up in the ark for 14 months with all the animals in the world in the middle of a big storm in a square building, so it would not square, but a rectangle, which would not do well maintaining balance in the water, do you think that would be a period of tribulation? Yeah. So they were, kept, they were not destroyed, but they suffered through it, and that's uh, what this position, and actually the all-male and the post-male position also teach that. They just look back, whereas we're looking forward. I don't mean looking yeah, excited about it, but the, as being in the future uh, to us. Any questions on that? All right. The, the historic premillennial position also believes in two future resurrections. The resurrection of the dead, that will be divided into two main phases, and we're going to try to look at that in the future. The just at Jesus' coming, and then the rest, the, be the unjust, after the thousand years are completed there. You see that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. And then where we get the name, the second coming before the millennium, therefore pre-millennial position, uh, the physical kingdom will follow the visible perso- personal return of Christ to the earth for uh, the promises to be fulfilled. Really, the Lord Jesus and the resurrected saints must first be alive and living on the earth. And that's really where we get the name of the position, pre-millennial, as to do in reference to the coming of Christ in, in, in relationship to that millennial kingdom. Any questions? Yes? My Baptist upbringing um, made uh, much of pre-trib, post-trib, mm-hmm. mid-trib. Um, what, what view is all of that wound up in? So uh, any of these positions that I've, I've uh, outlined to you require a post-tribulational return of Christ. Uh, all, all the reformed positions... And we're going to look at it. It has to do with the identity of the church. What is a church? Is that a new entity that began at Pentecost? Or is it something that began with Abraham in the Old Testament? These positions assume the latter, that the church is something that began with Abraham. Therefore, leading, and I'll try to show that eventually, leading to a post-tribulational return of Christ. The only way you can have a pre uh, uh, Christ coming before the tribulation is if you see the church as a completely different entity from Israel. And that period of tribulation is only to affect ethnic Israel and not the church. We're going to try to look at that later as well. That's what I keep on saying. More and more things, I, think, I, keep, I keep on thinking. I have also talked about that. And then there's another lesson on that, another lesson on that. But that's, that's where that fits. Okay. Any other questions? All right, so, oh, actually, I am in a good place to stop here as far as my notes go. Uh, we'll pick up, Lord willing, next week with the actual arguments used for, uh, for premillennialism. We're just going to briefly look at them, and then in future times, we'll come back to, uh, to 
actually defend each one of these things that are listed on the screen here today. And then we also want to take a look at the, 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 the tribulation as a future event. I'll try to show it to you why I believe that that's the case. I really want to talk about the idea. I, I think it's a big disfavor to the church to teach that somehow the church is going to be fair, uh, spared from future tribulation. Um, I also want to spend some time showing to you why I believe the Bible teaches these two different resurrections uh, of the righteous and the unrighteous. And then ultimately, the, 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 not the ultimate, not ultimate, but the last lesson will be, whenever we get to it, it will be showing the nature of the church that requires cert- certain beliefs regarding the coming of Christ because of what the church is, according to the scriptures. All right? Any last question before we close? All right, so let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you're God who speaks, and thank you that we can rely on your wisdom through the church to understand what your word says. We pray that you continue to guide us as we study these things. We pray that we will be accurate in all that we say. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.